Um, I've already told you how hard it is for me to come up with a title for a message. And it's usually at the last minute, and it is whatever, <laughs> whatever God brings to mind. I kind of look down at my notes and think, oh, yeah, maybe that's a good, a good message or a good title. So I'm taking a page off of, um, out of Sim's book, and uh, his message the first week that um, I was on vacation, and by the way, I want to begin by thanking Sim for uh, coming and preaching three weeks. The first two weeks, he knew he was going to do, but the third week, um, you know, he was willing to share um, because Lynn and John were not going to be here um, because of Lynn's mom's homegoing. And so I, I thank you so much. Um, your message is ministered to me. I know all praise goes to God, and that's, that's just the man who you are. And I, I thank God for that. So, um, so the name of the, <laughs> the message was, Why a Fish? And I wrote that down in my notes, Why a Fish? And right under that, I wrote, Why Jonah? And I'll explain why, uh, why I'm saying that. Um, I was sit this was the only time I was able to come to service while I was on vacation. And so I got to hear in person the message of Jonah. And then I listened to it again in the car. And then I, get, I listened to it again at home. Um, it, it was a very powerful message. All of Sim's messages are powerful. This one was so personal for me. And God used it, and I pray it was personal for all of you, and that you thought about it long after the service was over, because I did. And um, one, of the, one of the reasons why I'm saying why Jonah is because the book of Jonah, God used the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, at two points, two critical points in my life, where had I chosen the other road, my life would be very different. And um, for those of you who may not know, I'm not going to go into a great deal of detail, but it's important for you to know because of what God did the third time that he spoke to me about Jonah. So the first time that um, God used the book of Jonah in my life was when he called me to this position. And um, after we had the board meeting and it was determined that God was calling me to this position, and I accepted this position. Um, shortly after that, um, I was getting ready for bed, and it was in the dark. I had no distractions, and I said to the Lord, I said, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to call the board tomorrow and tell them I made a terrible mistake. And with that, I heard the voice of the Lord say, would you like to know what a modern-day Jonah looks like? And so I didn't have much interest in finding out what a modern-day Jonah looked like. So um, the rest is history up until three years after that. Um, it was right after my husband had gone home to be with the Lord, and I had not come back the whole time he was ill, and for a good while after his passing. And there were a lot of reasons for that. Um, Number one, you know, you're in mourning. Number two, I was thinking, I don't know how I could possibly do this job without his covering. And 
Um, and it, his covering meant so much more than just, you know, the prayer and the, you know, the, the covering that a husband has over his wife. He did a lot that I didn't have time for, just in keeping the house and taking care of his mom and all kinds of things. And I always like to tell people that it, it had been three years since I had washed my kitchen floor. Not that it had never gotten washed, but he was the one that washed the kitchen floor for me. And so I say all that because it was my intent not to come back. And so um, two different people who don't know each other sent me a link for a video um, that I eventually watched. And it was a little girl giving the account of Jonah. And the, the message was not lost on me. I knew that what God was saying is that um, the first time I tried to run away from God, and he very clearly showed me that if, if I chose to run away, there'd be some hard times. This time it was a very gentle and sweet way that he told me, no, you're running away again, but I'm putting my cord around you and drawing you back. So um, that was the second time. And so when I heard Sim start talking about Jonah, I knew he was going to give a message on Jonah. But it just never really, you know, oh, that's nice. And I didn't expect to be here, but then that all changed. And um, so as I'm listening, I think, oh, my goodness, Jonah, again. And the first thing that enters my mind is, am I being rebellious? Am I running the other way? What am I doing now, which I was not aware of, that God needs to speak to me through the book of Jonah? Let me just tell you this. God doesn't know we speak the same thing through the same word. We know that. But sometimes you're, you're, you just kind of go into default mode. So God used... Jonah in my life in two critical times. I was running away. I was in rebellion more so the first time than the second time. And so that's what I'm thinking. I just go into default mode and think that this is how God is going to use this, um, you know, this, this story. But that was not it at all. Um, so needless to say, on my vacation, I spent an awful lot of time seeking God. And in my quiet time, I would read portions of the book of Jonah, and then God reminded me that, I don't know how many years ago, I purchased this book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal Prophet, and it's the story of Jonah. And between Sim's message, the word of God, and this, I understood what God was speaking to me about the book of Jonah. So, um, We're going to look at some scriptures from Jonah. But that's actually not the scripture that God gave us for this morning's service. So I'm going to have you all stand because God gave me, for us, two scriptures. Deuteronomy 6. Can you pull it up on here? Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. And so we're going to declare it together, okay? Shema Yisrael, 
Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kavod, Malkuto, Leolam Vaed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. And then Lynn is going to pull up um, verse 5. And we'll do 6 and 7 also. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. And we're going to say Leviticus 19.18. We'll declare that together, just the English, Lynn. Oh, it's all together. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You may be seated. So, <clears throat> one of the things that Sim pointed out and God really pierced my heart about is that um, the book of Jonah is about Jonah, but in many ways, it's almost more about the people that he interacted with. And when I finally figured that out from the Lord, I kind of breathed a sigh of relief <laughs> that I wasn't in rebellion and I was not running away. So there's two groups of people that Jonah interacted with. The first group are the group of people that were on the boat. And those were, I guess, indirectly, Jonah's choice of people. Because he was looking to escape from God, he was running away in rebellion, and I don't know what the process was that he was looking for a ship to run away, um, or whether this was the only ship in port. And he figured, well, I'll just take this one. However it worked, it was going the opposite direction and as far as he could get from God. Isn't that funny? Like you can get away from God. You know, when I typed up that sentence, I just started laughing. Yeah, like we think we could ever hide from God. We think we could ever get away from him. It's, it's a lost cause, folks, so don't even try it. But um, so then the other group of people is the Ninevites. So um, I would say that both groups had some similarities, probably in the sense that when I read different versions of Jonah, um, they, the people in the, in the boat and the people in Nineveh were described as pagans or heathens. And probably today we'd be more politically correct, maybe, and say they were non-believers. Because pagans and heathens, well, they have kind of not good connotations. So... Uh, we're going to look at the, um, I think that's where we're going first, yeah. So I want to share with you the words to a song, few words to a song that I thought about when I was thinking of these people that Jonah was interacting with. Because they're not very different from us. 
when all is said and done. And they think our mistake is thinking that those people, they're pagans, they're heathens, they're sinners. And in our, as you said yesterday on the prayer call, in our self-righteousness and condemnation of others, we think we're so much better. So, there's a song called Lover of My Soul. There's lots of songs called Lover of My Soul. But this version is by Jonathan McReynolds. And he describes people who are not yet believers. That's a better way to put it. People are not yet believers or pre-believers. He describes them this way. Their human bones are as fragile as mine. I have my flaws, but they have the same kind. I was ashamed because I couldn't see that grace says that they are in the same boat as me. And I think we resist thinking that we're in the same boat as pagans and heathens when very often we are. And I think God puts us there for good reason. And he put Jonah there. Jonah thought he was choosing that ship to go far away from God, as far as he could get. But God has control of even the ships in the harbor. God knew where that boat was going. He knew every man on that boat. And he appointed that boat, just like he appointed the big fish. He appointed that boat and those men for his purposes. And so I'm, I'm not going to go through every verse, but if you want to look, uh, turn over to Jonah chapter 1. Once they get on the high seas, God sends a really wicked storm. And the mariners were afraid. And what was their immediate response to their fear as their boat was being tossed about on these wicked waves? They what? In verse 5, every man cried out to his own God. That was their immediate response, is to call upon their God. They weren't frantic. They weren't panicking. Well, they probably were. But they knew in that moment of panic to pray to their God. After all, what were their gods for? But to protect them, correct? Just like we cry out to our God because our God protects us. He hears our prayers. And so this is immediately what the men do. They started throwing the cargo out of the ship to lighten the load. But Jonah was deep down in the hold of the ship, asleep. I don't know how he could sleep through that, the way that storm is described. But then <laughs> the captain goes downstairs and... Or, below deck, or I guess that, that's the, probably the correct phrase. The captain goes below deck, and he says, what are you doing sleeping? Why, we're all calling on our God. Why don't you call on your God? Maybe your God will think about us and keep us from perishing. And 
as I was reading in this, this book, I read something about the captain. Tim Keller writes, we have this memorable picture of the heathen captain reprimanding God's holy prophet Jonah. A pastor from centuries ago preached a sermon on this text entitled, The World Rebuking the Church, or the Ecclesia, and concluded that Jonah deserved it, and to a great extent, the Ecclesia today deserves it too. Well, I would say even more so today. The captain rebuked Jonah because he had no interest in their common good. The captain was saying, can't you see we're about to die? How can you be so oblivious to our need? I understand you're a man of faith. Why aren't you using your faith for the public good? And I, I was just struck by that. And it caused me to think about how many times we may see things that don't affect us where we don't cry out to God. Not everybody is like this. I'm just saying in general. We see things that don't necessarily affect us and we don't spontaneously pray. Our first mode of action is not necessarily to pray, to intercede for whatever the situation is, whether they're believers or pre-believers. And, you know, I, it just made me think about just a lot of this, um, you know, Jonah's lack of empathy and compassion for the people that he was on the boat with. I guess all he thought about was this ride he was taking far away from the Lord and really didn't pay much attention to the rest of the people, what their needs might be, what they're not expecting a storm, but not even a second thought about these men on board this ship. And so one of the reasons why I wanted us to declare the Vihavta, the Shema the Vihavta, and um, Leviticus 19 was because, and this is probably going to sound like a very judgmental statement, and I don't mean it to be that way, but I drew the conclusion that God was not number one in Jonah's life. Um, as Sim pointed out, Jonah's idol had become his hatred of the Ninevites. That was stronger than his love for God, which caused him to run away from God. And so in the midst of that, you know, I was thinking about a phrase that we were all, hope, well, maybe we're familiar with, but it's not a, um, I don't know whether she actually said this or not, but it's attributed to Golda Meir, uh, one of the prime ministers of Israel, probably in the early 70s. And she said something along the lines that we will have peace when the Palestinian mothers love their children more than they hate the Jews. And I always remembered that statement. And the reason why I bring that up is because it speaks about our priorities in general. 
Is God really number one in our life? Do we really love? We declare this every week. Maybe we declare it and we, you know, we go home and we kind of forget about it. Or, but I've been thinking a lot about it over these last couple of weeks because just of what God was bringing up in my life over the, you know, after hearing this message. Do I love God with all of my heart? With all of my soul? With all of my strength? Do I put nothing above him? Nothing? I literally have been praying and thinking about this for like two and a half weeks. Because it's very convicting. Because when you see and you read about a man who was so hateful of his enemies running away from God. Look, we've all, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not judging Jonah because I'm Jonah. I'm not judging him. I'm simply saying we're all not where we want to be. And, and so God is just impressing on me personally to share with you that we need to press in to make God number one in our lives because that will make all the difference. When God asks us to do the difficult things, we won't run the other way. We'll, we will know that he is going to be with us. He will provide for us. He will direct us. He will guide us. He will put his words in our mouth. Everything that we need. And so, you know, we know that Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish and then he prays this wonderful prayer. I mean, I read and reread the prayer and, you know, I'm not going to take up the time to read it now, but... It was, a, it was just a, he must have been so grateful to be alive even though he was in a fish. Um, and his, his response was this beautiful prayer. I'm telling you, you know, when I get in the midst of like some angst, I don't always come out with a beautiful prayer. Sometimes it's a complaint. Sometimes it's, you know, why me, God? It could be any number of things. But look at this. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. Well, I am going to read it. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. The mercy of God. God answered him. God wasn't angry with him. God was disciplining him. God isn't always angry with us. He's disciplining us because he loves us. And he has a plan for our lives. Nobody can fulfill our destiny but us. And so God will discipline us until we're, you know, we, we're all over the place and then we come to that, that narrow path that God wants us to be on. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard me. You heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. And your billows, sorry, I lost my place. And your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. 
The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, or the foundations of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Can you picture this? I was thinking of like seaweed being around my neck and my face. And I'm thinking, it's, it's so graphic that you, you kind of feel it. You see it and you feel it. And you think, this is the mercy of God. This is the mercy of God. But yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And then the fish vomits Jonah out onto the dry land. And he goes to Nineveh and he preaches the word. And then he sees that God saw the repentance of the Ninevites. And in verse 10, it says, God saw their works. You know, I'm skipping a lot because I'm thinking that you, you know, are familiar with this story. But, you know, we know that once he preached the word from the king on down, the people repented and Nineveh was saved. Judgment did not come for like another hundred years. But those, and probably many of them that came after them, were saved by the word that Jonah preached. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. We know that God relents. We read it in Joel. We read it in Amos, other prophets. God relents. Because I think, Sim, you said that God, judgment is God's last, his last resort. He does not want to do it. And, and that just so ministered to me. Yes, he is so good. He is so merciful. So we've just read this beautiful prayer that Jonah prays to God, right? Salvation is of the Lord. You know, um, I will offer my sacrifice of worship to you. And then after we read verse 10, we read this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. He still did not understand the love and mercy of the Lord. Another thing that I loved about Sim's message was his willingness to be honest and transparent with his own struggles. And I know so many people, and I've shared too, that, you know, sometimes it's hard to pray for our leaders in our nation because um, we want different leaders. We want godly leaders. And it's hard when we see what people are doing, the laws that they are enacting, um, overturning good things that had been done years ago, several years ago, and that's bringing hardship on us 
and all the citizens of our nation. So it's very difficult um, at times to pray the way God wants us to pray and to feel the way God wants us to feel. But, you know, there are so many songs I can think of off the top of my head where we sing the words, God, break my heart with the things that break yours. Give me a heart like your heart. And, you know, I would say that we're kind of like Jonah praying this prayer. We want God's heart, but only in some ways. Only in some ways. We want God's heart for the good stuff. But the hard stuff, we'd still rather not pray for certain people or look at certain people through the eyes of God. But what I came to understand, which was the different way that God used this book of Jonah, was that God was speaking to me about the way I view people, especially people who might not be on the same page with me where it comes to the scripture, where it comes to God, where it comes to morals. And, you know, God says the same thing that Jonathan McReynolds wrote, that my human bones are as fragile as theirs. I have my flaws, and my flaws aren't that different. In fact, God holds me to a higher standard because I belong to him. Because his son's blood has made me clean and made me whole so that there is no excuse for me except for rebellion. So in the end, God did show me how I was rebelling and just not wanting to love certain people the way he loved them. Not wanting to pray for certain people the way he wanted me to pray. And so I, I look at this book so differently now. I just think about how this one story, and it's true for every bit of scripture, how God uses it to teach us different things. It's not always, I mean, like I said, I went into that default mode thinking, okay, I'm running or I'm rebelling. And God showed me you're not running, but you are rebelling. If I truly loved God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, I would love the things and the people that he loves. If he truly was number one in my heart. So how can I say, oh, it's obvious or evident that God is not number one in Jonah's heart, when it's true for me too. And if we want to see the world changed, you know, it is up to us. But it's up to us to love and to intercede. And so, I don't see where there was any place that Jonah ever really interceded for either the people on the boat or the Ninevites. He told them, I'm the, I'm, okay, the people on the boat, he said, on the boat, he said, I am responsible for this storm. Just throw me overboard. 
But do you know what the response of the so-called pagans was? Not to throw him overboard. They, in fact, in the scripture it says they started rowing even more furiously for land. They didn't want to harm him. They didn't want to throw him overboard. And then when they finally did, they cried out to the God that Jonah should have been crying out to. So it looks like, you know, the people that weren't quite believers were a little more commendable than Jonah. And nothing changes. There is nothing new under the sun. Humanity in the time of Jonah is the same as the humanity now, maybe worse. It is. It is a test. It is a test. But prayerfully, we get to the place where we're working out our salvation in fear and trembling. And God is changing us from glory to glory into the image of his son as we surrender to him. As we surrender our lives to him. That he is he's doing this. And um, Sim talked about how all of this... Oh, oh, one other thing I wanted to say. Jonah never really, even though he shared the gospel with the Ninevites... There's no record that he interceded for them and prayed, you know, Lord, I, I, I know they're... And let me tell you, I read about the Ninevites. I, I want to read you what... Oh, I hope I wrote it out. I want to read you how Tony Evans describes them. He describes them as a very violent group of people. They would just as soon kill you and put your dead body on display than ask you what you had come to see them about. And when I read how really evil they were, you kind of can see Jonah's point, but only to a certain extent. Because if God is number one in our lives, then it doesn't matter who he sends us to, who he wants us to pray for. We are required to love and to intercede. So, as Sim said a couple of weeks ago, it's still all about people. It's all about relationship. And it's all about souls. Souls being saved. And it didn't seem like Jonah was very excited that all of these people's names are now written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Said he was very angry. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. And you know, he never gave up. He never gave up on that. Because then the Lord said to him, um, is it right for you to be angry? So, so here's what Jonah did. He went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. He was holding out for God, destroying that city. Even after the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? He basically said, yeah, it is right for me to be angry. 
He's no different than we are. Our responses might be the same, but not identical. <laughs> and the way he described his anger twice was, okay, the first time he says it this way in verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, he was so upset that God did not destroy Nineveh that he said, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And then when the Lord rebukes him and says, Is it right for you to be angry after he says this to the Lord? Then he goes and he sits and he waits for God to zap the city. And then again he said... Well, this is when God destroys the, the, the worm that ate the plant that was kind of giving him the shade and all of that. Then he was really annoyed. He was really upset with God, and he said to God, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But you know, again, we look at this, it's, it's not about Jonah, it's about us. It's about us looking at this and saying, I am Jonah. That God wants more from me than I am willing to give, but with the help of God, with the power of his spirit within me, he can give me the grace to love my enemies. He can give me the grace to love those who persecute me. He can give me the grace to intercede and pray for those that we think don't deserve to hear the gospel. Thank God, thank God that someone who shared the gospel with me didn't say, oh, she doesn't deserve to hear it. How dare we? How dare we say that somebody doesn't deserve to hear the gospel. God's heart is for every person on the face of this earth to be saved. They are made in his image. I know how difficult it is to look at someone who opposes you, whether it's morally, politically, spiritually, whatever it is, it's hard to look at them as made in the image of God. But this is what God asks us to do. And if we want to change the world we live in, this is what we need to do. We need to come away from this book of Jonah, identifying in every aspect of who Jonah was and what he did, and say, that's me, Lord. I repent of my thoughts. I repent of my heart that lacks the love. I repent of my voice, not speaking more boldly the promise of salvation and ask God to give us the grace and the power to rise up, as Jonathan Cano, he says, and be the lights we're supposed to be. It is not, it won't happen except without repentance, true repentance, and re desiring 
to be changed. No matter who it is you can think of in your mind that you say, I can't pray for that person or you fill in the blank or I could never share the gospel with this person or if you did, you would not share it with the love of God. And I truly believe because this is always about souls, that if we purpose in our hearts to pray as fervently for our enemies, we can pray for our enemies, but I'm talking about fervently praying for our enemies the way we've prayed like over these last weeks leading up to the election. If we fervently pray for our enemies, I truly believe that we will see a red wave. Not the political red wave, but the red wave of Yeshua's blood washing over this nation. Because that, that is God's heart. That's God's heart. And that's where we need to be on our knees asking forgiveness for our attitudes for having that, as Sim said, the idol of hatred for our enemies to the point where it paralyzes us from being able to pray and share the word of God, share the good news of Messiah Yeshua. But it's a new day. And as soon as we come to this place of recognizing what God is speaking to us and repenting, and asking God to fill us with his love because it's only his love, only ever his love that will overcome the smallness of our hearts. That's what I want, and I know that's what you want. And we can be about our Father's business, and we can change the hearts of our family members and whoever else God chooses to send us to. The Ninevites, the modern-day Ninevites, whoever that is. So, Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for how you speak to us, Lord. We are grateful that you never give up on us, Father. You don't give up on us, and you don't give up on the sinners. You don't give up on the unbelievers. You pull out all the stops to see, to make sure that every one of them will hear the good news of Messiah, just like you did with each one of us. You pulled out all the stops. I think of the repeated times in my own life where I heard the gospel and ignored it. And yet that you kept on and kept on and kept on. And one day, one day, I understood what Yeshua had done for me how he had hung on the cross for every one of my wretched sins so that I might have eternal life. And for everyone listening, if you are not sure about your relationship with God, today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day that you come to God, you confess and repent of your sins, Repenting means to turn away from your sins and turn towards God and allow the love and mercy of God to just flow through you and over you 
to cleanse you of your sins. And that was all done at the cross. That was all done at the cross by our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. He took our place and paid the penalty for our sins so that we might have eternal life. There is nothing we can do. There is no prayer that we can pray that can make it right other than the prayer to receive the atoning work of Jesus, Yeshua, for ourselves. And if we declare with our voices that Yeshua, Jesus, died in our place, that he took all of our sins upon his body so that we would not have to pay for our sins. The word of God says that when we receive that gift of Yeshua's death and resurrection, we become born again. We become a new creation in God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who receives Yeshua, receives Jesus as Lord and Savior, we become a new creation. The old way of life is behind us, and God opens a beautiful new way of life for us. He blesses us with his Holy Spirit, his Ruach HaKodesh, to give us the strength to not go back to the old way of life, but to walk in newness of life. And my encouragement to you is if you understand this and you have declared this before God, that you find a good place to worship, a place that preaches the word of God in its entirety from Genesis to Revelation, a place where you can grow in your relationship with the Lord, I tell you, you will never look back. So Lord, we thank you that we don't look back we look forward and we continue the race that you have set before us, O oh God. That we may lay hold of that prize, the gift of eternal life in Messiah Yeshua. Thank you for our salvation, Lord. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for showing us that we are no different from Jonah, but that with your grace, with your love, with your mercy, O oh God, we can press on and press in and persevere in our faith to the point where we can share our faith with anyone. Even as Richard Wormbrandt shared the love of Messiah Yeshua with those who beat him, those who persecuted him, those who let him starve, those who gave him no water, those who put him in solitary confinement, and yet he persevered in prayer, and he praised you all the while. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.